And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show. Presented by RIA Advisors. Hello, is this thing on? Hey, welcome everybody. Financial Fitness Friday. I'm Rich Rosso, CFP, Certified Financial Planner here with Danny Ratliff, CFP. Thank you for being here. Another week has flown by in the world of finance. I swear I don't get any respect in the world of finance. That's a terrible impression. So we got Dow futures down 379, S&P futures down 51. Uh, big losing week for markets. Danny. We got global PMI coming out today. Uh, manufacturing PMI global coming out today but the, obviously the issue is how how far does Powell go and I think finally took a while the market is finally getting a handle on the man is serious this time a man is serious about bringing inflation down however it's going to be much tougher than anticipated. And I think that's what the market's seeing, Danny. I think that when it comes to wage price spiral that you're seeing, or at least the seeds of that, that's very tough to tame. If you look at the Atlanta Fed sticky price CPI, that is still heading higher. That's very troubling. And I don't know if the big hammer of the Fed, because everything's a nail, really works that, or how much pain does the Fed need to inflict before you take some of the steam out of that, uh, that spiral. Um, we'll see. For now, the markets don't like it. And this is not a surprise, but it seems like the denial factor is dead. Or at least excuses of a pivot. I'm not hearing the word pivot anymore, are you? No. I'm hearing a lot of other P words, but pivot is uh, not one of them. A lot of F words, too, but not pivot. Not fibbit. I'm not hearing anything about any of this stuff. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to make up words today, everybody. So just keep your, write them down because they're going to be good. Go just, don't, just don't pull out your Webster's Dictionary. No, this is the RIA Dictionary. <laughs> oh, man. So one of the things what I've seen many institutional traders looking at, not the short term, hey, uh, what have you done for me on Wednesday and it's Friday? Um, is they're going long duration treasuries, which is very counterintuitive to what you're seeing right now in markets. And it's a very painful, painful trade. But if you believe, one, the economy is going into recession, two, the Fed's going to overdo it, and three, something's going to break then you are looking at the, one of the best opportunities in bonds you've ever seen. Jeffrey Gunlock just wrote a report a couple days ago talking about this is the time for you to buy bonds. And I absolutely agree. However, this is not a trade or part of your portfolio that is going to work right now because I even think the long end of the curve is doubting how much the Fed is going to do or have to do to break this wage price spiral. 
And Rich, I think that's a good point. It's it's difficult. It's hard because timing this is really difficult in the aspect that we don't know exactly when this is going to break. Mm -hmm. And when it does, just like we saw a couple of months back, we saw Treasury yields on the 10-year get up to about three and a half. And next thing you know, you turn around two weeks later, they're down at two and a half. Yep. And I think that's something that we're going to see, but it's going to be it's going to be multiplied because of the environment that we'll be in. Yeah, so I agree with you that um, we have to look at ways to help people prepare. This is, in this situation, one, you're seeing a lot of stocks get totally annihilated, right? Uh, look at some of the home building stocks, Intel. I mean, go pick your poison, right? If you're a bit of a contrarian and the fundamentals are there and you have cash, which is a good thing to have, right? Cash is not trash. Then you really want to start putting a buy list together of what's going to fit into your overall allocation. And like you said, um, the bond market's trying to figure this out on the short end and the long end of the curve. But we haven't been here in a very long time. And frankly, a lot of strange crap is happening after this pandemic with work behavior, you know, wages, employees have the upper hand currently, right? Who knows if they're going to continue to do that? Uh, the Fed is going to shift or try to shift with that equation. Not that your employees aren't important to you. I know how important and crucial they are to us. And we do what we can to make sure they're happy. Uh, we, are, we are all very dead serious about that. We have a, we have a team that we cannot replace very easily. Um, and I'm sure a lot of small businesses are going through that. But the, the level, as the economy gets worse, the shift begins more to the employer. And there's more leverage. Not that you want to do anything to hurt your employees or disrespect them, but maybe the wages are going to continue to wane. But right now, I think that longer end of the curve is worried about how do you t break the fever? of that price wage spiral. But if I would, and again, Jeffrey Gunlack does a great report, just look him up. He's the bond king uh, in many ways. He was talking about, this is the best opportunity in bonds we've had in a very, very long time. Because he believes that the global economy is going to break. And in some ways worse than 2008. Now I don't, again, I'm not being a doomsayer, I don't know. But through through every contraction money has f come into our treasury market i don't see why danny it would be any different this time no it, it shouldn't be different and you know the the opportunities that are there these don't arrive these don't come up every day and so it's tough to take advantage of it i think that many people are so concerned with the current environment that we're in or we see mm -hmm. you know like you mentioned some of these these positions, they're not a trade. They're more of a fundamental thesis that if you believe these things will happen, we're going to see quite a bit of upside at some point. But it's not easy to sleep on it, is it? No. Colin asked about this. If the Fed is no longer a buyer and Treasury issuance is growing, aren't bond yields going to keep rising? It's possible, but you're going to have a lot of demand from outside sources, and eventually the Fed's going to have to go back. If you believe the Fed's going to have to go back, to quantitative easing. Listen, this is part, this isn't anything unusual anymore. This is in, this is their toolbox. 
by the beginning of 2024, and I'm going to say it here now, and if I'm wrong, Danny will put me up. If I'm right, you can tell me I'm right. We're going to have to start lowering rates again, and the Fed's going to have to start doing what they did before. Okay? So that's my belief. Recession by middle of the year. Fed's going to have to go ahead, bail everybody out by 2024. Because I'm, I'm I'm, I am frankly concerned on how bad this gets because of the stubborn inflation. So you know what? After a fever breaks and you think you're feeling good, try to get up out of bed and see how dizzy you are. Even dizzier than we are this morning on this show. When we get back, how to raise money smart kids. And I want to talk a little bit about ESG when we return here on Financial Fitness Friday. Investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. If your portfolio looks more like a horror show, you won't want to miss our next Candid Coffee on dealing with bloody markets. No tricks, just treats. From Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff with some not-so-spooky ideas to budgeting and how to maximize your cash. Don't be spooked by markets or Danny's bathroom. On our next Candid Coffee, Saturday, October 1st. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back. So we don't want you to be spooked by Marcus. We're going to have a candy coffee. Danny's going to have a scary bathrobe. And some other stuff he's going to be wearing. Okay. Yeah, just your current one is scary enough. How to deal with volatile markets. Are bonds still a good place? We talked a lot about that, but we're going to share more perspective. Cash is not trash. How to maximize cash. And, you know, some not so spooky, sort of unconventional budgeting ideas. This is Saturday, October 1st at 8 o'clock. And it's going to be an hour. And, you know, we're going to continue these candid coffees through next year. And, uh, but this one will be an hour before you start your day. You go to realinvestmentadvice.com. It's an hour-long Zoom event, but we really would like your questions. Send in your questions because we're going to have a lot of time for Q&A. We do get a lot of great ones. Speaking of spooky, Danny, can we talk about ESG? The G is for ghosts. So this is from Heather, uh, Heather Gillers in the journal. The nation's largest pension fund got a scathing performance review when its new investment chief highlighted the retirement system, system's underperforming returns for CalPERS. So this was a very candid conversation to board members of the California Public Employees Retirement System that returns have lagged behind other large pensions in almost every asset category during the past 10 years with private equity trailing the most, 1.3%. And why is that, Danny, over the last decade, do you think? Because they decided 
to go ESG. So the political agenda overrode the investment agenda, and the for former SEC commissioner Paul Atkins wrote in the journal in response, CalPERS this month said, no thank you to pension fund activism. Government workers unseated Priya Mather, the sitting CalPERS president, to try to find someone better to handle this. CalPERS has been used more as a political action committee than a retirement fund. So CalPERS, which is the nation's largest public pension fund, $444 billion in assets, almost has as much as you have, Danny. So well, we got there different ways, Rich. <laughs> now, I will tell you, there's a great firm out there called Research Affiliates, and Research Affiliates uh, is really into or does a lot of value-based research. They did a whole study, climate versus investment objectives for value investing. What they found is that um, they obviously they're investors that really feel they want to do a good thing through ESG, right? They want to they want to look at climate change, wealth, wealth, uh, wealth in, uh, inequality, and make things better. They want to do good through their investment choices. But I will tell you what 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 research affiliates are saying, Danny, is there are trade offs. You have to set realistic expectations because here's what they found. Companies with attractive value multiples typically have high carbon profiles. For example, in 2021, a typical value portfolio had a carbon intensity level higher than three times the market average. If you want to be a value investor and have ESG in mind, you are going to have impractically high levels of concentration and illiquidity in your portfolio. So see, Danny, what research affiliates, which is, did a very great study. If you want to look it up, it's called Necessary Trade-Offs, Climate Versus Investment Objectives for Value Strategies. Uh, came out just yesterday. So, Danny, what they're saying is, listen, if you want a low-carbon strategy, you most likely have to go to growth stocks and momentum stocks. And we know where those have trailed this year, and they might continue to. If you want deep value, you're going to have to relent on some of your carbon mandates because you're going to be in energy, basic materials, some of the industrials. So you have to look at as an investor, even though CalPERS is ticked off, they're, they're, uh, they're pension holders, you got to look at the trade-offs. Well, I think there's a lot of trade-offs when we think about ESG investing. And so the bigger issue, like you mentioned earlier, I think most people that invest in ESG, they, they think it's something that it's not. We've talked about this numerous times. If you lift up the hood of an ESG fund and you look at the S&P 500, they are very, very similar. So there's very mm. few instances, because we're so, we're so into indexing these days, that we actually have an actively managed ESG fund that's, one, affordable, priced appropriately, uh -huh. right? That's, two, is actually what most people think it is. I mean, we've seen ExxonMobil have a higher rating than Tesla. <laughs> I mean, what does that say for ESG rankings? Right, and ExxonMobil, which is a, was a better value play, actually had fundamentals, would not get included in ESG Correct. screens. Therefore, people underperformed. So you've got to, you cannot have your ESG cake and eat it too. Can you imagine what your cake would taste without any carbon in it? Yuck. 
no taste. So if you're going to do this, and I had a, I had a discussion with a young investor the other day, and I said exactly this. You have to, you're going to give up some investment performance if you have this social responsibility objective. Is there another way for you to fulfill this and not take it out on your portfolio at least just yet? Or you're just willing to get dismal returns or lower returns. Or you're going you're gonna to eliminate certain asset classes entirely. And, and listen, we do that. We haven't been in international for years. Even though people say, it's more attractive, it's wonderful, it's great. We don't like it right now. We are still in the United States, the cleanest, dirty shirt. The whole world's in the toilet. Everybody's in the water. We're on the rim. But we're looking at the water right now. We're looking. We're, hello, water. We're ready to jump. So what I'm saying is if you're going to do the ESG and you have a lot of really great investment research outlets that are telling us this. You have to sit down and write your own financial mission statement and decide which sword you're going to fall on. If your performance lags and you invest in ESG, Danny, what could you do? You could increase your savings knowing that you might underperform, but you have this social consciousness, right? or conscious, and you want to maybe lower your debts, live smaller, how are you going to make up for the difference in performance? And that doesn't mean ESG is going to always underperform because when momentum and growth stocks come back into play, then your ESG might work. But styles flow. I mean, that growth and momentum style, there's a point where I think value just decided like to uh, just go hide in a box and give up. I mean, it's been a long time, and I don't know how long the value trend tends to last, but the more the Fed pulls liquidity, the more asset prices get away from distortion, the more that malinvestment dries up, the more you're going to have to study stocks and look at fundamentals, and I think that warrants more the value style than the growth style, Danny. What do you think? Yeah, no, I agree, because that's where you're going to, going to find the opportunity. I mean, mm -hmm. let's face it. There's a lot of really good companies out there right now Yes, that are just so beat up. So fundamentally, we can make a very good argument that this would be a great buy. But technically, we're just not there yet. So, but I think that that is going to switch here at some point. And it may not be. You know, the biggest question that I think that we're, getting, we're getting right now is that, okay, S&P's down about 20. Um, NASDAQ's getting up there quite a bit. And what does this look like? Does this continue to deteriorate? Do we see a 40, 50% decline? I think is what's on most people's minds. But when you look under the hood of these, these indexes, there's already this devastation within many of these companies. Mm -hmm. We have these market-weighted averages, right, that are these, these indexes that are really skewed because of some of these big companies, they just haven't seen that big decline yet. And again, many of these growth stocks are still expensive. Correct. And the Cape 10 or the PE 10 is still at 28, 29 times earnings. Yes, we've, we've made some progress. But there's a lot more to go overall. So just remember, we're throwing these social mandates into everything. I don't know if you heard Jamie Dimon and Tlaib at the, uh, at the uh, Senate hearings. When Tlaib asked Jamie Dimon, Are you, is your bank 
going to stop or has stopped lending to oil and gas companies. And Jamie Dimon said, no, we will continue to. If we don't, it'll be hell on earth. And then she turned around and told him, well, I hope people that have gotten their, their money from their student loans, I hope those people who have accounts pull those accounts. Well, frankly, if I need $10,000 back for my student loan, how big is my account at J.P. Morgan? So we have seen ESG creep into every aspect of our lives. We have lost the energy scientists. We have lost the people that have look at both sides of the fence. And we have only climate catastrophists. That's all we have. Usually, the scientists would be the break in the system and say, wait a minute, you all are going off the deep end. In the 70s, I remember as a kid, it was global cooling. I pulled some, uh, I looked at some uh, excerpts from the papers like The Guardian, The New York Times, Washington Post from the mid-70s, and they all said by this time, right now, we would all pretty much be dead. So maybe these are our ghosts. Ooh, here on the radio. You guys can tell I really haven't had enough coffee yet today. It's a haircut. It is. I lost more hair and I gained more stamina. Okay, when we get back, we're going to talk about, hey, listen, especially in this environment, are you raising money smart kids that just don't go, I'm for the flowers and the birds, when we get back here on Financial Fitness Friday. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com if your portfolio looks more like a horror show you won't want to miss our next candid coffee on dealing with bloody markets no tricks just treats from richard rosso and danny ratliff with some not so spooky ideas to budgeting and how to maximize your cash don't be spooked by markets or danny's bathroom on our next candid coffee saturday october 1st register now at realinvestmentadvice.com candid coffee with ratliff and rosso realinvestmentadvice.com you're listening to The Real Investment Show. Listen, I'm not trying to make waves here, but in my opinion, dub chocolate tastes way better than the soap. <laughs> and when I was a kid, there was a lot of soap in my mouth. Hey mom, what's this F word mean? Hey mom, what's this S word mean? Hey mom, why are those people naked? Hey mom, what's going on? So I was a lot of trouble. So Jamie, Jamie Dimon yesterday called crypto tokens decentralized Ponzi schemes. I never thought I'd say this, Danny, but uh, I'm sort of, ha I think I have a crush. I think I have a crush on a banker. Taylor Swift, don't write the song. 
I think I have a crush on a banker. I don't want to be a wanker, but I have a crush on a banker. So so wait a second, Rich. Right, so so he, he's saying that now it's the decentralized token. Our Ponzi schemes. Okay. And I understand what you, I know. But he's gonna, gone he's gone back and forth on <laughs> this has. one, right? Because initially he was the, the first major banker to, to say, come out. hey, we want to do a crypto kind well, he, of thing. Well, at first he hated it. And then, then finally they started investing. Well, the bank hated it. Well, here's the thing. He, I don't think his message has changed, even though he represents the bank. No, his message has changed because I used to work there, so I, I know oh, the Oh, okay, message, but so. I thought maybe the people around him, but I thought he stuck. He didn't just didn't say anything to combat no, it because if so, they can make money off of it, they're going to yeah. do it. No, initially they didn't like it whatsoever, but they did like the technology behind it, the, the, the blockchain, right? But now we've seen it kind of flip-flop back and forth right. because – They've been a big advocate, in fact, you know, trying to, to find ways to monetize it. So now now we're going backwards on this? Yes. What does that do for their investment? I'm curious. Yeah, that's uh, that's a good point. I don't know. I don't know. All I know is those crypto pundits, the cute little 23-year-olds and the swarthy-looking guys, they're, they, they are busting a groin muscle on mainstream media telling you how great crypto is. And I have nothing against crypto. I own it myself. I, 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 I don't think it's going away. But man, when they have to talk in circles to, to, to say where it is, and their biggest, they're always their biggest explanation for crypto is that it's hip, it's cool, it's not mainstream. Well, Wall Street loves it. If Wall Street loves it and Gary Gensler at the SEC is looking to Manage the crap out of it. It's mainstream. I wonder how those virtual land funds are doing, Danny. Think that those virtual land lots are still going for like fifty grand? What? I got. I should go they're into not? my virtual land uh, zealots and see how they're doing on their lots. Foreclosure! Foreclosure! They took my bits and bites and my little dog too. Man, I don't want to check my 401k. Is that where you got the, your crypto Dude, land fund? Yeah. All right. So listen, with all this junk going on and all this nonsense, you got to be get your kids to invest smart, right? So George Kinder wrote this. George Kinder is sort of the father of life planning, and Brad Kuntz is uh, a doctor in this psychology of money scripts. And he says, every money message we hold on to contains a fatal flaw. It impressions us in an incomplete world. In other words, what we see is reality. So when I was a boy, my, my paternal grandfather... Wait, what? What? Never mind. <laughs> uh, yeah, no more Matt Damon ads on crypto. Yeah, now those ads... You know, all those fancy ads with, uh, what's his name? Not Shaq, but the other dude. And all those ads are gone. None of these crypto ads are out there. They have totally, totally been taken out. So my grandpa would say, listen, invest smart, not stupid. Uh, I said, oh, eh, okay, grandpa, that makes sense. I don't know what he mean. I, don't, I have no idea what you mean by that. Like what's smart versus stupid? Uh, like if I buy a new car every year, I think that's sort of stupid, right? I had to tell my grandfather that when he was drunk on wine, otherwise he would hit me. But well, grandpa, why do you need a new car every year? Why don't you just keep the car? You asking what you're trying to question me? So listen, you today compared to years ago, 
you should be able to have these open conversations with your children about money, right? So I, I try to, over time, Danny, understand what's this invest smart, not stupid. It's sort of like it became a voice in my head. Um, when emotions are strong and fueled by money or things are in fear mode, I think the words take on better, um, greater resonance to me. Um, I, Haley's had her own brokerage account for a long time, right? And she tries to look at different stocks and so forth, and we talk about companies. But even she says, you know, during bad times, she's like, oh my gosh, this could be a negative experience for her. I think about how, how a negative experience investing in a stock or crypto, thinking that it's always going to go up. Is that negative experience going to now deter her or kids to invest? So you got to have these conversations. And kids are watching, and this is where the money script is, your relationship with money. My parents were terrible at money. We didn't have any sort of financial security. Now, I looked at that, Danny, and said, I don't want to be this way. It's too stressful. I, I, and I, I went on the, the other way. So their money scripts, those foundations are laid by the people closest to them. So my parents stunk at money. Uh, I learned what not to do based on their debt and habits. Um, and I've tried to be that better steward to my daughter. But what do you think about this money script? Don't you think kids are just very observant? They know if you have respect for money and saving and how to manage debt. And also, I'm sure you have conversations with your kids. What a lot of parents are still, it's better, but still not doing to have these very practical conversations with their children from as early as age three. That's when I started with my daughter on save, share, spend. She didn't exactly get it at that point, but by seven or eight, she was pretty much, I pretty much knew what her money script was based on where she would put the quarters, Danny. Yeah. Right? There was always maybe one quarter in spend and maybe two in save or two in, you know, in other words, the, the, the ratio was something I favored. So there are little hints in your children right now. You can tell what their money script is and you have the power to help change that script. Or flip it. Well, I think you mentioned the, the main thing. I think that's communication, and, and that's number one. I took that from you years ago, Rich, with, with our kids, is yeah. that you have to communicate, you have to do it early, and you have to be frequent with it. And, you know, they see your spending habits. They see what you do. And the biggest problem I think that we have right now is that we can click a button and buy something. And it's very difficult for them to fathom and to really understand exactly what that means, where money comes from. So we've had to, like, sit them down. Mm -hmm. Okay, we go to work. We make money. Here's where money goes. I mean, I'm talking about walking through the whole process initially. And then they start to understand. Okay. And isn't any time the right time? You're at a store. Yeah. You're at home. Like, you don't have to have, like, this let's sit down and talk, son. Right? These conversations have to come alive wherever you are and take the cues from the environment. Oh, right? Don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think I've given you guys the example before, but I'll take my middle son to Walmart and he may say, hey, you have 20 bucks to buy uh, presents for your, your brother and your sister. Now, he's been a little earnings machine lately, so he may have a little bit more for Christmas <laughs> this year, guys. But I think people think we are broke because I will literally literally sit there with them for 
two hours and let him figure it out. Okay, Dad, if I have if I go buy her this and go buy him this, I can only wait. I can't afford this. I'm going to put this back. And he's going back and forth. And I mean, we spend quite a bit of time. But I encourage it because one, it makes him do math. Mm-hmm. Two, he also many times he talks himself down out of something where okay, I want to spend a little bit more here, but then I can't do this. And so sometimes you know he'll figure out a way to to, to purchase two things that he really likes for for each of them, but for his brother and sister. He keeps a little money in his pocket, which I'm proud of. Yes. And we've done the exact same thing where it's, you know, you save a little bit, mm-hmm. you spend a little bit, and then you you give a little bit. And I think that's always a good thing for people to for kids to understand. Yes. And to help others, to build that empathy towards others is really important and critical as well when we talk about money. Because I think money should you should use it for good. It shouldn't just be to go out there and spend. Uh, no, and I think you've done a great job with that. And I think it's delayed gratification is the most imp- one of the most important money lessons you can teach your children. When Haley was little and we went to Toys R Us, she would look at these, um, I don't know, these little dolls in these little doll houses. I can't remember the name of them. And we'd be there on a Saturday, and she'd go, Daddy, I really would like this. And I'm like, okay. Um, I didn't say no. I said, let's look at this. Tell me what you like about it. She goes, oh, you know, because I have the other doll set, and it connects. And Okay, good reasons. All right. Let's do this. It's this Saturday. Here's the date. You want this. Let's talk about it next Saturday. And if you still feel the same way, we'll go buy it. Seven out of ten times, Danny. She'd go, Dad, you know, I thought about it. I didn't really want, I don't really want that anymore. I, I, I made her sit back. And think about it. And not go with the emotional, I want this, pull it off the shelf, daddy's going to buy it for you. I had her look at this delayed gratification. And I think that's one of the most important things. We show children that through how we buy and make purchases. They watch. We do that in our own house. If it's going to be over X amount, you're going to wait. Excellent. And most of the time, you you figure out you don't want it. And I think that delayed gratification has made Haley the student she is today and and hard worker she is today. And she's got very good control over how she spends. It's very important. We get back and continue how to raise money smart kids. Financial Fitness Friday. Stay tuned. Daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. If your portfolio looks more like a horror show, you won't want to miss our next Candid Coffee on dealing with bloody markets. No tricks, just treats. From Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff with some not-so-spooky ideas to budgeting and how to maximize your cash. Don't be spooked by markets or Danny's bathroom. On our next Candid Coffee, Saturday, October 1st. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso. realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. Now, unless they've changed, I don't really like these investment or investing competitions in schools. 
when you pick a stock and it goes up or down or whatever and the kids are all riled up when these stocks are up a thousand percent or so but this is speculation this is on how to gamble not invest so one episode of leave it to beaver not kidding the beave and his brother interested in stock market investing and dad who's always in a tie by the way even when he's mowing the lawn he says i listen there's this he suggests this very profitable state dividend payer, Mayfield Power and Light. Doesn't it make you feel all snuggy? Mayfield Power and Light. How could that go under? So, of course, Eddie Haskell recommends the Zoomer Jet Electric, a penny stock. Well, the boys listen to Dad. They buy a couple of shares through Dad's broker of Mayfield for 25 bucks a share. The thing is a slug. Right, it's 25 cents up, 25% down, it's flat for days. Jet Electric, of course, Eddie Haskell's pick, takes off. And the boys are like, oh my gosh, Dad stinks. This decision, Dad's a little dismayed how a company with no earnings, how, what, can do so well? He's looking it up in the paper, goes, Jet Electric, up again, what the hell? So he's also, here's where Ward is not tough on the beaver. He is concerned about the impression his investment selection makes on the boys for the long term, especially when Eddie comes over and rubs it in. If you listen to me instead of your father, you'd be in the clover today. Although clover makes me sneeze. So here's what happens. The boys ask Dad to sell Mayfield, move the proceeds to Jet. And you can probably guess what happens next. Jet tanks. Mayfield continues on its merry, boring way. And little did Beaver and Wally realize in the audience until the end that Dad had already dumped Jet and repurchased Mayfield because Dad has financial literacy. You must be the smartest man on the planet, Dad. Now, I don't, I don't expect you to be a cleaver. But if you're carried away over these bulletin boards and these cryptos and all these things, as Eddie was, how are you going to co-pilot your children? How are you going to help your kids to navigate the, the dangerously euphoric terrain when it happens or this fear terrain that we're dealing with now? So you got to have this unemotional, this watchful eye, help you, the kids understand the difference between gambling and investing the best you can. That darn Hedy. I wonder if uh, Hedy Haskell became a penny stockbroker. No, he became a cop. <coughs> well, not that there's anything wrong with that. Well, today there might be, but no. <coughs> the actor who played Eddie. Oh, oh, yes. But yes. who would have Eddie Haskell been? Say all the boys grew up. Who do you think? What? What do you think? What profession? Car sale? Where? Where, where would Eddie Haskell be? Eddie would have been the guy the cops arrested. <laughs> Listen, for, for sir, I didn't do anything wrong. He's selling something door to door for sure. <laughs> In the beginning, right? Yeah. The boys would be like probably. He's a vape. doctors or lawyers. The 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 the, the Cleaver boys. Eddie Haskell's a vape merchant. He's like one of those guys in the, oh my gosh. But yes, the actor, what's his name? I can't remember. Became a police officer for many years uh, after acting. Uh, still showed up a lot of those uh, shows for actors. Um, 
So that's uh, that's Ken pretty... Osmond. Oh, that's right, Ken Osmond. Yeah, he just passed away like yeah, last year, I think last year. So one of the things that I had Haley do when she she had a job at H E B, which is a supermarket chain out here, and um, <clears throat> we had her. I had her set up Danny a custodial Roth IRA, so she contributes after tax dollars toward retirement. And then when she became, so let's talk about this for a sec. Let's break this down. What's the coolest thing? I don't have, I don't have anything negative to say, which is rare, for something like a custodial Roth. What is it, and what do you think about it? I think it's a great tool. So a custodial Roth account would be a, an account that you would set up with any big custodian, like a Fidelity. Um, now, the parent would have to be on the account mm-hmm. as the custodian because you would be the one who would help set this up. Now, a couple caveats. They have to have earned income. Mm-hmm. And they have to pay taxes on it. Mm-hmm. Now, I know a lot of people may say, hey, well, my kid just babysits or they mow lawns. That can be included. Now, I know most of the time people are probably saying, well, we don't really want to pay taxes on that. That's not real income. But if As long as they're paying taxes it, on that income. Correct. You need to have them pay taxes on that. It will likely be not nearly as much as you think. And you can put these funds aside. So you're really giving them a leg up you know, in a couple ways. One, you're allowing funds to become and be invested at a much earlier age for something that they're not going to touch for decades. But you're also teaching them good money habits. You're teaching them all the things they need to learn now before they get out in the real world and have to experience Mm -hmm. it on their own and likely help them not make those mistakes that many others have. And so I think that by understanding and having some a, a child go through this process and actually see, I mean, number one, I'm sure when Haley got that first paycheck, she thought, what the heck? I thought I made... X amount every hour. We did have that paycheck discussion. It sort of shocked her, even at HEB. It's like, Dad, (laughs) what's this? Oh, let me go over that with you. (laughs) I thought I made four twenty-five an hour. Uh, This is telling me I make two. (laughs) Yeah, but but these are discussions that I think need to be done. I think that uh, this is a tool that is too far often left in the toolbox for kids. Yes, if you can do this. You know, I know a lot of small business owners, they'll hire their children to actually mm-hmm. come in and do work because, they, one, they want to teach them the value of hard work. It also teaches them the value of a dollar. Absolutely. And then how to save. And they get to start getting a better understanding along the way of how do you invest. Now, I love what you wrote about investing. I think too many times with children, we teach them, and, and you know, right now there's been such a big push on indexing that they just can't comprehend it. It's not relatable. Mm-hmm. Where I say, you know, I love what you, you said where, okay, have them make a list of products, of services that they like, and then actually do an analysis on it. Because now you're teaching them to dig deeper and to not just go invest and throw money in something that, okay, hey, I shop at Starbucks. Well, great. Is Starbucks a good investment or is it not? Right. At least I'm tr- what I tried to do is, is try to get them interested. You know, what do you like to buy and why do other people like what you buy? And does Um, it make money, you know, in the back end, right? Does it make money? Here's how they make money when you make a sale. So going through this process of actually linking stocks or investments to ownership versus renting makes a lot of sense. But this custodial Roth IRA, think about what you've done for your children, that you are setting up an after-tax account that can grow for generations, you know, maybe 40 years or longer. And if they can continue, so what I had Haley do when she became the age majority, 
We switched it to her own Roth IRA. And of course, obviously, you got to be careful because there are contribution limits for custodial Roths and Roths, but she still fits within the parameters. Right now, what we do, Danny, is we have her set up auto deposit from her job into her Roth. So now it's her Roth, right? And now she contributes to her Roth. So if she keeps doing that, Danny, for so long, at 24 years old, what is that going to be at 65, 70 years old, right? What, a, what an incredible after-tax amount of money that she's going to have for retirement. I, I try to teach my kids, my kid and also the children of the practices, things that I wish I would have done with me, like myself. My parents would have showed me that we now have this rare opportunity to pass these great lessons on to our children and our grandchildren. And their friends are probably terrible examples. The government is absolutely the worst example. And we have to stand out as the good example and help them understand. But boy, I'm not saying it's easy, right? It, it's like not. There's so, much, there's, there's so much stimulus coming into these kids every day, even if they're limited. I know you always control what your kids watch and social media and all this stuff. But just their friend, I mean, it's just the pressure. There's so, there's so, there's much, so much pressure. I mean, kids are getting iPhones at such a young age and tablets and, you know, one thing after another. And they're just being bombarded by advertisements. And, um, you know, it's it's just part of it right now. And unfortunately, you really have to take a stand against this, but you have to talk through it on why we don't do these things. And that's the probably the more difficult part for them to understand because they see everybody around them and it's not a problem. Um, whereas, you know, hey, we're not going to do this because we're going to save money. And you don't need this. And they don't like it. I mean, I'm probably bad dad half the time. But I do think they respect it. Mm-hmm. And I think that over time, and now they're, as they're building a little nest egg, and, and mine are really young. So, I mean, when I say little, it's little, right? But it, it's, they're beginning to understand the Did value Did James of pick out your more. shirt this morning? No. Wanted you to dress like a farmer? Wear your overalls. Hey, <laughs> man, it's the weekend. It's my picnic shirt. Get off oh, is that me, your okay? picnic shirt? Oh. Yeah. How about I wear one with red? Perfect. And white checkers, and you wear yes. blue, and I'll be the tablecloth at the Italian restaurant, and you can be the tablecloth at the uh, barbecue joint. At the barbecue joint. There we go. What do you think? I like it. <laughs> uh, one would hope the government doesn't legislate themselves access to our Roth. Listen, the government could do whatever the hell they want. Right now, I think they like Roth because it's the J.G. Went- Wentworth uh, syndrome. Convert as much as possible out of your IRA into Roth because we get money now. I think the government would rather have the money now than later. And let's be clear. They're not going to double tax the Roth. They're just going to, they're not going to allow you to contribute to it any longer. As much or as much, right? They stop the limits. They'll do something. Which is what legislation recently this past year was talking about. Giving you a certain, what was it, a 10-year window? Yeah, because Peter Thiel decided to do a Roth conversion with $1,000 and it became billions. So he's the evil person at PayPal. The one guy who made $5 billion. The one guy that actually did that, yeah. So now everybody's got to be penalized for that. Dumb, dumb, dumb. Not us. So Danny will be out later behind the plow. Go see him. Uh, Or at the barbecue place. And we'll see you next week on Financial Fitness Friday. Hope you have all a great weekend, everybody. Thanks for sticking with us today. We appreciate you. Bye. It's a rich man's world.